Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Ideas Matter. Today, I'm going to be discussing a short essay written by Leah Strauss entitled What is Political Philosophy, which was published in 1957. So why am I covering this essay? Why do I think it's important? Well, the first reason is I think it provides a very interesting contrast to last week's episode, which was on the book by Raymond Goyce called Philosophy and Real Politics. And if you haven't listened to that episode, uh, all I would say is that in that book, Goyce is advancing a concept of political realism. And he concludes the book by saying, well, if you wanted to get me to give a summary of what politics is, I would say, quote, modern politics is importantly about power, its acquisition, distribution and use. If you want to think about politics, think first about power. So that's Raymond Goyce. He's criticising what he calls an ethics-first approach to political theory in which we sort of engage in this armchair reflection. We come up with these ideal concepts like freedom, autonomy, happiness, etc. And then we go out into the world and we criticise political institutions for their failure to live up to these ideals or we try and construct political institutions and systems that do live up to our ideals. The best example of this would be Plato's Republic, in which Plato outlines the ideal type of society, which is based upon the preceding discussion on what is justice. And then we come up with this ideal republic, and we try and aim at reaching that republic. And so Goyce is very much criticising that way of doing politics, or that way of doing political theory. He doesn't think it tells us many things interesting about how politics actually operates in the world. Now, to contrast with Goyce, we're going to talk today about what is political philosophy by Leo Strauss. Who was Leo Strauss? Well, he was a German-born, or rather at the time Prussian-born uh, Jew who uh, fled Germany and moved to America and then taught at the University of Chicago. And he became known as a scholar for his works on Hobbes and Spinoza. But he was primarily an expert in classical political philosophy. And so to contrast Strauss with Goyce, um, we see this almost immediately when he opens his essay. Uh, he says, All political action is directed either at change or preservation, uh, which implies a notion of things being either better or worse than each other which further implies some idea of the good. And so Strauss says that all political action has then in itself a directedness towards knowledge of the good, of the good life, or of the good society. So for Strauss, normativity and evaluation is the essence of politics and political philosophy. He says we don't actually understand political things properly unless we take seriously their claim that they must be judged in terms of goodness or badness or of justice or injustice. He gives an example. We don't just want to know about uh, apartheid in South Africa, for example. We don't just want to understand that empirically. The very discipline is asking, is this a good regime? Is this a bad regime? What would be a better regime? What would be a worse regime, etc.? Political philosophy for Strauss is inherently, inherently sorry, normative. And he situates this against a broader definition or a broader backdrop of what he takes to be 
philosophy. And he gives a sort of very classical, very grand definition of what philosophy is. He says, philosophy is the quest for universal knowledge, for, quote, for knowledge of the whole. And what does he mean by the whole? He means all things. So we can restate this in his own words as philosophy being the quest for knowledge of the natures of all things. So it's hugely ambitious in its scope, but there's a Socratic element here. He says it's the quest. It's not the possession. He admits we might actually never come to possession of the truth per se, because all we know is that we know nothing. But from that backdrop of what is philosophy, it follows then that political philosophy is the attempt to understand the nature of political things. And he thinks in that process of understanding political things, we are necessarily going to have to make normative and evaluative claims. And this is part of his critique of logical positivism, which he sees as dominating the social sciences at the time of writing, so the 1950s. And that dominance of logical positivism is threatening the viability of political philosophy as a discipline as Strauss sees it. So he is rejecting positivism in the first part of this essay. Why does he reject positivism? Well, I've already started to give you an answer to that by saying he thinks when we study political things, it's impossible to talk about them without making normative claims. He says that if we talk about social phenomena without any evaluative content, whatever we say will just be fundamentally uninteresting and it will show that we do not understand the subject nature that we're talking about. So he gives an example about political biography. If we were to simply write a biography or a list of various politicians throughout time, and we didn't distinguish between who were the great statesmen, who were the mediocre politicians, who were the catastrophic politicians, he says, well, A, we wouldn't be saying anything particularly interesting, but B, we wouldn't actually be understanding the subject matter we wouldn't be writing about it properly. Now, you can either reject this claim or accept it. He sort of just puts it out there as an assertion. But I think his second claim is much more interesting. And his second claim is really that we can't actually be value-free when we study the world. So this delusion that social scientists have, that they can be like natural scientists and just study the how, not the why, and erect this firewall between facts and values... Strauss says, look, you can pretend that you're doing that, but in that pretense, you're necessarily going to sneak value judgments in through the back door. And so you just become blind to the kind of value judgments you are making. So it's not a choice about between it's not a choice between being biased or unbiased. It's more a choice of being aware of your bias or being aware of your normative commitments or being blind to them. And he says that value judgments usually enter into the positivistic disciplines, and by this he means empirical social science, um, economics, etc., quote, through the back door. And he gives quite an interesting example. He says when social scientists refer to things as being authoritarian, usually what they mean is just a caricature of everything that they, quote, as good Democrats of a certain kind, disapprove. And I should note that he was raised, Strauss was raised as an Orthodox Jew, and that sort of informs his view of what's going on in the United States. And he says that a lot of of social science's discussion of political legitimacy um, is not objective per se, 
but in actuality just reflects a liberal Protestant understanding of political legitimacy that a conservative Jew or a conservative Catholic would not accept. So all of this is to say that Strauss is very sceptical about our ability to actually study the social world without making value judgments. The second claim that he advances about why he doesn't like positivism is he thinks that positivism asserts that we can't adjudicate between conflicts of values. If we have one value system over here and another value system over there, we can make claims within those value systems, but there's no place for human reason to stand to adjudicate between them. This is sort of a form of relativism, of moral relativism. Uh, Strauss just flatly rejects this. He says it's never been proven. He said it's never been definitively proven that human reason is incapable of adjudicating between clashes of values. He says if you did want to prove that, it would be such a monumental undertaking and such a monumental study of human reason itself. You'd probably need to put as much work into it as Kant did in writing his three critiques of human reason. And he says, well, no one's really done that. No one's really proven definitively that human reason is that limited and can't adjudicate between clashes of values. And he says, even if we can't say which of the two mountains is higher, perhaps because they're both obscured by clouds, we can certainly say that a mountain is higher than a molehill, which is just his way of saying, there are certain cases where it's pretty clear cut. We can say that one political system or one value system is better than another. So he rejects the idea that reason has nothing to say about values. He goes on to say that positivism necessarily transforms itself into historicism. And he regards historicism as being the real enemy of political philosophy, mainly because historicism rejects the question of the good society. Because any evaluative statement of what the good society is, is always going to be historically specific and referring to norms that are accepted within a certain societal and temporal context. So historicism would reject the universal pretensions of the kind of political philosophy that Strauss thinks um, is capable, that humans are capable of doing. Political philosophy is trying to understand the nature of things, the nature of political things. And the natures of things don't essentially change over time. And we want to make definitive normative statements about why one political system is better than another. And he doesn't think that we should be historicists about that. We, he, he doesn't think that we should say, well, liberal democracy might be good in the here and now, but perhaps it won't be good in 50 years, for example. So he sees historicism as being the real enemy of his conception of political philosophy. So there we have Strauss's definition of political philosophy, which he spends the sort of first 10, 15 pages of this essay going over. Um, political philosophy is the attempt truly to know both the nature of political things and the right or the good political order. So normativity is central on this account. He then goes on to give what he terms the classical solution to this problem of political philosophy, that is, how can we know what the correct regime is? And so for him, classical political philosophy um, is guided by this question of what is the best regime? And this comes from the realisation or the insight, I should say, from classical political philosophers, which he says is given in Plato's Laws. 
that laws derive from the regime. So rather than studying laws, we should study the political regime and what is the best political regime. We need to introduce a further distinction to get clearer on this. Aristotle distinguishes between what a good man is and what a good citizen is. And a good citizen might differ according to context. To be a good citizen of Australia might mean something very different than it meant to be a good citizen of Nazi Germany just to give a you know, very clear-cut example. So good citizens differ, but Aristotle thinks a good man is universal. You're either a good man or you're not, or I should say a good human or not. And the best political regime that exists is one in which a good citizen coincides with being a good man. Now, this begs the question, what does it mean to be a good human? The answer to Aristotle and to other classical thinkers is to cultivate virtue. So the best political regime is that which promotes virtue. But this raises an immediate problem because virtue only arises through education. Not education in the modern sense. Strauss sort of has an offhand remark about how today education actually just refers to formal training and preparing one for the job market, whereas he's using this sort of classical liberal idea of education, which is about the formation of character. And he says, well, that type of education um, to form character and to form virtue necessarily requires a lot of time and a lot of resources. And it's just an immutable fact about human society that we have scarce resources. And so not everyone is going to have the leisure time, the economic means, the resources to have access to the type of education which promotes virtue. And so classical political philosophy sort of accepts a degree of inequality as baked in. It's unavoidable. Now, I mean, this might have been true thousands of years ago in which material scarcity was much more of a problem than it is today. Um, but today, for example, it is the case that we happen to produce enough food to feed everyone on earth, for example. We're just incredibly wasteful in how we distribute and allocate that food, particularly in, in Western societies. And Strauss says that one of the main differences here between classical philosophy and modern people with regards to their view of democracy is actually their view on technology. And so the modern Democrat or the modern egalitarian would say, well, everyone is capable if given the right resources, of being given an education, of, of developing virtue, of becoming a fully-fledged moral agent. Um, and we can do this by technology. Technology will enable us to harness the benefits of nature, to overcome material scarcity, and then we can have this kind of virtuous society that the classical philosophers only dreamed of or was just the purview of, of the elite. That's a very modern view, and you see it kind of most explicitly in Marx with the idea that communism will enable the overcoming of, of mater material scarcity. Strauss says what a classical political philosopher would say to that is that they would deny the assumption that technology improves human life. They were much more circumspect about the capacity of technology to enhance, to enhance humanity. And I think this is really, really interesting to reflect upon, particularly as we're now sort of 
realizing the dangers of social media and the effect it has had on our mental health and our capacity to pay attention to things for any significant long period of time, there was this sort of naive view that technology is inherently good and more technology, more technological progress equates to society becoming better. Whereas according to Strauss, the classical political philosophers were much more circumspect on that question and as a result were much more willing to accept the inequality that went without having this technological prowess over nature and subordinating technology to moral and political constraints. Whereas there's very much a tension today uh, in modern society between those who want to regulate technology and those who think that that would stifle innovation and we should just have unfettered technological progress and innovation. So I thought that was an interesting point. But to sum up and to say what is really guiding classical political philosophy, uh, classical political philosophy in contrast to egalitarianism or modern political philosophy recognises that human, human evil is an immutable, immutable feature. It's always going to be there and they need to factor that in. So modern egalitarians sort of have this view that people are just the product of their environment and if we fix the environment, we fix the people. Classical political philosophers, um, well, not all of them, we, we wouldn't want to overgeneralise, but they would regard the problem of human evil as being recurrent and immutable throughout history. So that's one very clear difference. And as a result, the, the problem of political philosophy for the classics is what is the best regime? How do we attain the best regime? How do we promote virtue? So this is all setting up Strauss to discuss the modern solution, as he calls it, the modern solution to political philosophy. So what is the modern approach to political philosophy, according to Strauss? Strauss argues, and he's not alone in this, that modern political philosophy begins with Machiavelli. And his reasons for this are quite compelling, I have to say. He says that Machiavelli consciously lowers the standards of politics. He thinks that the classical view that politics is about promoting virtue or creating a society which promotes virtue, this is too high of a goal for most people. Most people are not going to be capable of attaining virtue. And Strauss articulates the Machiavellian idea, which is taken up by later political realists. He articulates it very succinctly. So just to quote him in full, he says, Machiavelli's fundamental insight is, there is something fundamentally wrong with an approach to politics which culminates in a utopia, in the description of a best regime whose actualization is highly improbable. Now, this sort of sounds like a uh, sort of vulgar conservative criticism of, of communism, right? Like, oh, you're just being a utopian. That's never actually going to happen. We should just try and take things as they are. Um, really, you can sort of trace that insight back to Machiavelli. Um, because the reason for this, the reason why Machiavelli is arguing this is he says, well, virtue can only be practiced and inculcated within a society. Machiavelli's whole point is that societies can only be established immorally, almost by definition, because if virtue is a product of society, then before society, there is no morality, so to speak. So societies can only be established immorally. 
Morality is only possible within a context which cannot be created by morality, for morality cannot create itself, according to Strauss, summarizing Machiavelli's view. And so Machiavelli replaces this Aristotelian idea that humans are sort of innately directed towards virtue. We have this teleological impulse to achieve our ends, and the ends of humanity are maximizing our potential, which is human excellence. Machiavelli rejects this. He, he rejects any sort of innate, fixed human nature. He says, on the, con- on the contrary, humans are malleable. We're remarkably malleable. We can fit and adapt to our certain circumstances. And this is where Machiavelli is decisively modern. Rather than trying to make politics about instilling virtue in people, he recognises that humans are essentially malleable, we're very flexible, and so politics should shift its attention from individual morality to institutions. And politics should be about structuring institutions to get people to behave in the ways that we want them to. And that is the morality that we talk about day to day. The morality in a liberal democratic society, for example, is basically those modes of behavior that we have been socialized to view as right and wrong by the institutions which govern us. So this is, this is a highly modern view, which Machiavelli, it would be wrong to say that he, you know, invents it or he's the only person up until this point in history to have had this thought but he gives it its most force and he actively tries to propagate this idea that politics shouldn't be about individual morality, it should be about political institutions and institutions getting people to behave in ways that are conducive to stability, to protecting society from foreign foreign domination and so on. A very, very modern idea. Strauss uh, then wraps up his discussion of modern political philosophy by looking at how various famous thinkers have picked up Machiavelli's insight and changed it. So Hobbes basically accepts Machiavelli, uh, but he says, well, people don't create societies out of glory. Uh, We don't have these kind of uh, Nietzschean overmen type figures who found societies, these sort of great Roman figures. No, no, no. Hobbes thinks that humans are these sort of fearful, scared creatures. We're scared of one another, and that's why we form society. We form society because of our ideas of self-preservation. But he agrees with that Machiavellian insight that morality only exists within the structure of a society. Locke then picks up Hobbes' account and says, yes, humans are driven towards self-preservation, and this is why they form society. But what do humans need for self-preservation? Well, they need property. So according to Locke, we form societies to protect our natural property rights. Rousseau, on the other hand, has a much more interesting and sort of dialectical approach to political society. For Rousseau, it's our experience of living, our experience of existence, which leads us to want to preserve it. But we then become so caught up in that process of self-preservation, in the process of creating a society. We lose touch with the experience that we had hoped to preserve. And we therefore, we need to find our way back to nature. So paradoxically, the just society for Rousseau is that which comes as close to the state of nature as society possibly can. 
I thought that was an extremely interesting and somewhat dialectical way of looking at the problem of, of political societies. Strauss then closes by having a very, very short discussion on the German idealists and Nietzsche. So Strauss says, well, for the German idealists, uh, political philosophy is inseparable from the philosophy of history. And if we understand political philosophy as being the question of what is the best political regime, the German idealists and the philosophers of history thought that the necessity of history was that the, the right regime, the good regime, would come to be actualized through the process of history. This argument will be very familiar to those of you who, who've listened to previous episodes of the podcast. And then finally, Nietzsche comes along and Strauss says that Nietzsche is the third wave of modernity, the one that is still with us now. And Nietzsche rejects the idea that the historical process is rational or has any sort of intelligible progress to it. Rather, he says we need to be fundamentally creative with our values. And he's telling this to individuals. And Strauss says that Nietzsche obliviates the notion of eternity. And I'm going to quote him at length here because it's quite an interesting discussion about what he says of Nietzsche. He says, Modern thought reaches its culmination, its highest self-consciousness, in the most radical historicism, explicitly condemning to oblivion the notion of eternity. For the oblivion of eternity is the price which modern man had to pay from the very beginning for attempting to be absolutely sovereign, to become the master and owner of nature, to conquer chance. What does Strauss mean by this? I think what he means is that the Enlightenment tradition or the Enlightenment project is basically trying to find a rational basis for human values and human morality. It's trying to construct an edifice of human morality on nothing but our own capacity for rational thought. It doesn't want to ground things on the claim that, well, this is just how they've been done for a long period of time, so we should keep doing them, or this is the, the truth as revealed by God. It wants to ground all our values in human reason itself. And so many people see Nietzsche as sort of being the culmination and the highest expression of this Enlightenment project. Because if we throw off the shackles of God, of tradition, ultimately we realize that there is nothing but us. And this is why some people regard Nietzsche as a, as a proto-existentialist. And if we want to construct values and morality system, is ultimately going to become come down to the individual. And so Nietzsche represents this culmination of this quest for individual humans to determine their own values. And that's the predicament we find ourselves in today. Many people feel disenchanted by the fact that our society does not accept recourse to uh, God or tradition or the process of history itself as being a, a valid way to ground your morality. Um, so the Enlightenment project has succeeded in the sense that we kind of all accept it, in the sense that we, we accept that, well, how to live a good life, what our values are, these are questions for the individual. But we're ultimately very unfulfilled by that response.
and most people find themselves incapable of doing it. Now, this discussion is going to set us up very nicely to discuss in a few weeks uh, the philosophy of Alastair McIntyre and his very, very famous book, After Virtue, uh, which I'm about to start reading as part of my um, PhD research. But that's all for today. I hope you found this episode on Leo Strauss's short essay, What is Political Philosophy, valuable. Uh, If you've enjoyed this episode, please, please um, rate the podcast wherever you listen. Um, Ratings really do help more people find the podcast so that we can grow. So that would be fantastic. Please also feel free to tag us or to share us, get in contact by tagging us at Ideas Matter Pod on either Twitter or Instagram. Uh, We'd really love to hear from you and we're very responsive to our listeners and also welcome suggestions for future topics. Thanks so much.